As we come before the throne this morning of preaching of God's Word, the scriptures and the sermon is entitled, A Time Will Come When They Will Not Endure Sound Doctrine. Uh, they were saying that that term, somebody read that as I come, was coming in, and they said that time is here now. Well, that time has been here throughout the eons, ever since the Garden of Eden, but the apostles was saying that it's going to be magnified in our day, that it's going to be so prolific that we would all see, and it would cause his people to pray unto him and to come into the house of the Lord and start to walk in his counsel because his word does something to us. It does a lot for us, and the counsel of God is the whole word of God. That's why coming up through this chapter, I've been sitting on the word, the word abiding in us and hearing of the word and the witness that, the wisdom that's in his word. The scripture text, I had it coming from the 40th chapter of Isaiah, the 13th through the 14th verse which is a rhetorical question that he asks here because we know the answer is no one because no one exceeds the infinite knowledge and wisdom of God. There's no thought that we can think that's outside of God because God gives us the capacity to think. God gives us our thought life and even when there's evil done in a city, it's God that had done it. Anything coming into your mind, God has his hand in that. The providence of God has his hands in that. Whether wicked or evil, there's no strength beyond God. There's no enduring outside of God. But as children of God, we learn to preach and teach and walk in his word and abide in that word. Thirteenth verse says, Who had directed the spirit of the Lord? of being his counselor, had taught him. With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding. Those two words, knowledge and understanding, those are mighty profound words, because you can have both of them. That's the knowledge of this world, and the understanding of this world. And sometimes it's our understanding that gets us in so much trouble. The reason the book of Proverbs tell us lean not to our own understanding. And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But there's a lot of intellectuals out there. And we're living in a scientific age where science is kind of uniting in ways with God. They're coming to terms with God. Some of the scientists are in that you can have a lot of intellectual knowledge, but you have to have wisdom to be able to apply that knowledge correctly. And the only true knowledge and wisdom, understanding comes from God. And that's why he said in the counsels of God. What is this about? What is life about? The purpose and everything in life is about. 
Let's center it around God's Word. Let's just center it around God's Word because it seemed like this started in creation. What happened? The, the earth was formed without form and void, and it was in darkness. And the Spirit moved upon the earth. And how did it get in that condition, you know? Just like you think about the earth today, if God created and he said everything was good, how did it get in the condition that it is in today? A terrible condition where evilness and wickedness roam the earth and that everything seems like utter chaos. It says the Spirit of God moved upon the earth. When God moves upon the earth, it's just like God moving upon us, moving upon our hearts and our mind. He spoke and says, let there be light. So God created the world. Uh, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail, but God's created the world, and he spoke the world into condition, into existence. But then after creation, God started to make the difference between the word creation and make because it says he says let us make man in our image in our likeness so after creation you can't create anything new you can use the word maybe in the wrong in a different sense or have a different uh, syntax to using that word but man can't create anything because even if he created cities so vast and high and mountains and everything, he would have to use God's dirt, wouldn't he? Yes. You create life out of nothing, and that's what God did. They say ex nihil, and he created it from nothing. He spoke it into existence. And so if he spoke it into existence... Maybe it's a frame of mind and a concept in our minds and hearts. And if we follow the wrong counsels, because counsel, we went over that Wednesday night, counsel is advice or instruction. It's advice or instructions. And if we follow the wrong instructions, it's like many a Christmas morning or many a time we get something out if we have a road map if we go into another city or something and we put it into our GPS system or whatever, if we don't follow the directions, you won't get that thing together quite right. There'll be many a moving parts and you'll have to lean to your own understanding. But what God has is a road map. He has a, a, a way that we are put together and he's the owner. He's the, he has the owner's manual. No one else has that owner's manual. So well, I ask you, what was this all about? It's about God's word. When God talked to Adam in the garden, he gave him his word. He says, thou shalt not eat of that tree that's in the midst of the garden. So Satan came along and he deceived the woman and told her, thou shalt not surely die that in a way saying that God doesn't mean what he's saying. He's trying to hide knowledge from you. He's trying to hide wisdom and understanding from you. Because if you eat of that very tree, you'll be just like God. Sounds like some advice of a carnal person. And that's what we all, all, all are, a carnal. 
Adam would sit around and wait for God in the cool of the afternoon. God would come and talk with him. But he followed the wrong counsel. And that's what life is about. What counsel are you following? Is it good or bad? Who are you listening to? You can listen to some of your friends or relatives or associates, and it can land you in pretty bad trouble. Pretty bad trouble. The book of Psalms starts off that first chapter. Blessedness. Blessed is the man that said it not in the seed of the ungodly, and he who walketh not after those that do evil, the book of Proverbs say, so it's according to who we listen to are the counsel. And I think to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he said, if you are to be my disciples, you would continue in my word. So we see the significance of the word. So the first point is preaching the word, God's word, because that's what was right in the garden. That's what's been right all along. And I don't see where he deviated from his plan, making man in his image, in his likeness. He's even given us to be able to be workers with him, laborers in his vineyard to come along and to help him to shape and make man. Not just a Godhead, he was talking, counseling his will when he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. We know God the Father, they're the he was talking with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we wasn't there, but he had thought of us from the foundations of the world. He had chosen us to be holy. But to be holy, we have to be sanctified or set apart. And that's just what his word does. It sanctifies us. It sets us apart. So it says, preach the word. That's our job. That's what we should be doing. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people to begin this with. How do you comfort God's people? There's a gift of exhortation where you could comfort others with the word of God. And and that's how you comfort. A lot of people go to the Psalms a lot of times for a lot of comfort in God's promises or whatever. But as preachers and disciples of Jesus Christ... We are to preach God's word and teach God's word. That's the only way where sound instruction is. Sound advice, sound counseling. But we here during a time when people want to do sound doctrine. That's what 2 Timothy tells us, the fourth chapter, first to the fifth verse says, And so I solemnly urge you before God and before Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead, the, the quick and the dead, in other words, the living. When he appears to set up his kingdom to preach the word of God urgently at all times, whenever you get the chance, in season and out of season, when it is convenient and when it is not convenient, correct and rebuke your people when they need it. Encourage them to do right and all the time be feeding them patiently with God's word, patient and apt to teach. That applies to preachers, and a lot of us aren't given to preach it to the extent where preachers preach it, and you'd have to have that gift of preaching or oratory. But it does tell us the charge is that we have to do the work of evangelists. When a woman could marry a man, a 
and the man to marry a woman, that individual is on their mind all the time. That woman is pregnant. She's always thinking of that man or whatever. That's why those children come out looking like that man. If we married, uh, we marrying Jesus Christ, we should meditate on his word all the time. We should think about him all the time. He should be the foremost in our thoughts and all our actions. And what woman don't go around glorying about the man that they're going to marry? Sister Jackson had a picture of me when I was working in Monroe or whatever, and I was uh, working at this restaurant and had a tuxedo on or whatever, and she was showing the picture around at the church or whatever and telling the young ladies that, you know, this was the guy that she was going to marry or whatever, but somebody stole the picture, you know. <laughs> somebody <laughs> stole the picture from her, you know. So sometime when we going around preaching and teaching and telling people about the Word of God, somebody will take that Word away from you. It says, when the Word of the seed was sown, then it came along the birds of the air and took that Word away. They took that Word away. They snatched it away. They took it away. Sometimes you have to be careful because sometimes your friends or your other people, and I think it occurred more than Less, lost, less often than we think that women going around telling men or telling other women and their friends about their husband or their boyfriend or who, and they end up taking him away because they've told him some things that they shouldn't have told, you know. A lot of times we go around bragging. So the Word of God is very valuable. It's like a hidden treasure that we have to sometimes hide that Word deep within our heart. And he takes his spirit and he writes his word upon our hearts. He stamps it on there and he magnifies that word and brings it alive in us. So we can't help but to speak the word of God. That's what Jeremiah said. It's like fire shut up in your bone. You have to tell somebody else about it, uh, just how good this man is, just how good taste of the Lord and see ain't he good. Taste of him, see ain't he good. Be steadfast in the word, though, immovable, because it's going to come along those that come along like Satan came along and try to distort that word. He's going to give you wrong counsel. Yeah, girl, he is nice, but, you know, he does this or he does that. They try to add or take away. They kind of misconstrue that word. That's why we have to watch who we're getting counsel from or who we're listening at. Now, like I said, he's going to give it to us all. It was upon him. That spirit came upon him. And the book of Isaiah, the 11th chapter, in the second verse, it says in June, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Holy Spirit and all his gifts and graces shall not only come, but rest and abide upon him. That lamb, that dove that came down, and when he was baptized and rested up on him, but he shall have the Spirit not by measure, but without measure. The fullness of the Godhead will dwell on him, but we just get a taste of that. Yes. See, the fullness of that full measure came upon him, according to Colossians 1.19 and 2.9. But he began preaching with this He's in the book of Luke. It says, 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is up on me to preach the gospel. And he was in the synagogue, he said, he was spirit. The spirit came upon him to preach the gospel, and 
That's what we all to do. Timothy said for us to do the work of evangelists. So people ask you what's wrong with you and why change. And Paul says, be ready to answer somebody of the hope that lies within you. That's where we get the word apologetics from. Apologia. We get that word apologetics. That's defending the faith. Why do you stand up on this? Why would you serve this God? Why you believe what you believe? Now you have to be rooted and grounded in the word because somebody's going to try to move you off that. Somebody's going to try to move you off that. I, I remember we was coming from you pull it one time, me and my older brother Eli, and my car wasn't, something was going on with my car, and we was going to have to go back across the Mississippi River Bridge. And uh, he said, well, what you do when you get out there, just get out there and hold that lane. Just hold the lane you're in. They say, don't do whatever happens. And, you know, that was good counsel to get out there and hold that lane. But I got out there and something was coming behind me, an 18-wheeler or something was coming behind me. I got over to let him pass or whatever, and I ended up miscombobulated. He looked over at it and he said, didn't I tell you to hold that lane? <laughs> You know, sometimes we have to learn to hold on. No matter what's going on, we have to remain steadfast, immovable. In the book of Revelation, you see two churches in the book of Revelations. One I'm going to talk about this morning with the church at Pergamos. That that church was the ones where Antipas was killed. One of God's faithful servants was killed. It was the seed of Satan was in that town. And that's just like in the churches today. It's full of devils. It's full of antichrists. The churches is, is bad. But he's not talking to... It's like the old people used to say. And I used to always try to defend myself to my mama. You know, I tell her, it wasn't me. And she said, well, I'm not talking to you then. You know, so sometimes I'm preaching to some people and sometimes I'm preaching at some people. That sword cuts both ways. So if you're not doing it, he says to those that have this, hold on and remain steadfast. That that you hold, that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you, hold on to that. Don't let that go. That you can assimilate, you hold on to that because it's going to come a time when men won't endure sound doctrine. That's my second point. That's punishment for not enduring sound doctrine. God punishes you when he gets when you get out of his word. Now, punishment is different from chastisement. He says he scorns his children. So some of us get chastened. And that's God's children. Chastening come when we disobey and get out of God's word. And that's what happened with Balaam. They had the council of Balaam. And Balaam is considered, there's three things about Balaam. That's the council of Balaam, the way of Balaam, and the era of Balaam, which I don't have time to go down all those roads today. But the doctrine of Balaam, that's what got the children of God derailed. You can read that in the book of Numbers, the 14th chapter. But when we follow the wrong counsel, that means either 
you a disobedient child of God, because we read that opening or reading verse from Jeremiah, that they wouldn't listen at God's word. God's people wouldn't listen at his word. But sometimes that means that you are disobedient, but sometimes that means you're not his sheep, that you don't hear his word, that you don't have ears to hear, you don't understand. And so we have to make a difference there. The, the, the determinate counsel of God in the book of Acts, we know there's a determinate counsel of God, something that God is destined to do in his wisdom and his knowledge and understanding. He brings it about in a different way. Now, we see Jesus Christ was in the flesh. In other words, he was born as a man, and when he got ready to go to the cross, he says, is there any other way that he wouldn't, that this could come about, but he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. You see, to us men, and to us men and women, let me say that, the sons of God is gender neutral. He was talking about sons and daughters. There's no male or female in Christ Jesus. So don't think that's an exclusionary statement when I say it. But when I say man, I'm talking about mankind in general. We have a propensity, a depravity of evil. We always go the opposite way. Like sheep, we've all went astray. So even the children of God, we went astray from the youth. But in his manhood, he said, is there any other way? But he know we have to do the will of God. And those of us that are children of the sons, children of God, that are led by the Spirit of God, we're born again, not by the will of man, not the will of flesh, but by the will of God. So we have to do His will. We have to walk in His way. That's the only way we can get to God. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. So no man can come to God unless we follow that path that way. Now he says He delivered Him up for us all. And yet he was approved of God, and there was nothing in this that signified the disapproving of him. says, for it was done by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God in his infinite wisdom and for holy ends which Christ himself concurred and in the means leading them to. So we knew that even though he said at the cross uh, that... Hold this not against them, for they know not what they do. There were some that did know what they were doing. There were some in that crowd that did know what they were doing. See, he didn't die for us all. He died for those that God had given him. See, but sometimes we get drawn away to the crowd. We get pulled off into the world. Our flesh, That's he says, keep them in the world, but keep them from the evil in the world. So the Spirit of God pull, has a pull upon us. That's the man we should be following. That's the man we, we should be feeding. Yes. Now, I've been preaching a lot of different things and teaching a lot of things. And so you will have to draw up on all that from years gone by. That's why people can't just get in the church and hear one sermon or read one or two books and then they think they got it made. That's a novice. That's someone that's just beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why the elders of the church or the older hands 
it is given to give advice to the younger generation to teach them how to fight that we're not fighting a carnal battle that this is spiritual battling and it's fought differently and you may not understand what's going on and now you trying to lead me off the younger people the older people shouldn't let the younger people lead them astray they should have them seeking for the old pathway the right ways that's how we got to where we are now God judges wicked at counsel. God judges wicked at counsel. Psalms 33 and 10 says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught, to naught, to nothing. He maketh the devices of the people of no effect. It all began at the Tower of Babylon, where he, at the Tower of Babel, where he confused the languages of the people. They were trying to reach God in a way that was carnal. They was building a tower that would reach into the heavens. But God came down and confused the language of the people, and that's where Babel, Babylon began. Babel was the confusion of languages, and that has been since. That's been up until all this time to God gets ready to destroy Babylon. Babylon is this world system. But he calls his people, he says, come out of Babylon. Hear me, 18 and 4 of Revelation, come out of Babylon, my people. He's calling his people out, and they hear that call. It's an effectual call, whether it comes to me, you, or someone else. Now, it doesn't come by entertainment. It doesn't come by singing. And let me kind of clarify something I talked to y'all about Wednesday night. You remember I said psalms, said sing songs if you depressed and down to hear songs and music. Now, there's, let me say, let, let me not say there's nothing wrong with music, but entertainment, music falls in the category of entertainment. And if you are a child of God, you can listen to music and different music doesn't have the same effect upon you that it has upon children that's not children of God. So I, I didn't want you to stray off and say that this singer is evil or that singer is, is wicked or whatever, but you're not converted by the singing. There's no conversion. How does faith come? Faith come by hearing the Word of God. And how does that come? By a preacher, right? The Word preached. So it has to be preached to you. So those people that... Uh, given to music and everything. That's why the New Year thing come in at and everything. That these people that are not fully converted, they bring their worldly music, their worldly devices, and all of that into the church. That's to soothe them because they're not being regenerated. They need something to keep them alive, to pacify them, to keep them following after this false god. That's where the doctrine of Balaam come in. He was worldly. He was hired to curse the children of Israel, but he couldn't do that. Whom God had blessed, he had blessed, and whom he had cursed, he cursed. So he directed Balak that he should intermingle with the people, that the Moabite women should intermingle with the people. And that's the problem. Our sons and daughters have intermingled just as they did in the times of Genesis where the sons of God looked upon the daughters of men 
and they married and they intermarried. That was the reason of the destruction of the old world. We're doing that same thing today, intermarry. We're doing that same thing today, intermarry. And that brings about death. We notice that I told you there's a punishment for not enduring sound doctrine. And those Israelites that intermingle and married those foreign women and had worldly relations with those and went to party. See, because Daniel, he didn't eat or drink with the kings at the king's table or whatever. You notice that they try to keep separate. And Daniel said that he was keeping separate, but now in this New Testament age, God tells us that we can't separate from the world in a physical way. See, the Old Testament is all about physicality and what you can see. Whereas here, we know that it it is spiritual. So when he says come out of the world, it means come out of the world in ways of of the system of the world. Following the things of the world. You can't physically come out of the world. Where you going to go? Who you going to associate with? So this is spiritual language. And only God's people can understand physical language. Because it's the mystery of godliness. And worldly people can't understand the mystery of godliness. Now for, for Balaam counseling Balak to do this and the kings of Midian and Moab did what they say do they were punished by God in Numbers 31 and 8 it says when Moses sent them out to kill those people that had done such a trespass it says they killed the kings of Midian along with the rest of their slain Eva and Remka and Zer the father of Cosby and Hur and Reba the five kings of Midian also, Balaam, the son of Beor, they kill with the sword. They kill him also at that time. We read of Balaam's death for doing that, for giving faulty counsel. That's the same thing what's going to happen to Satan at the end of time. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire. But he's using Bala- Satan right now. That spirit is still there. We're going to look over in the New Testament and see the spirit of Balaam is still here. There's a many of spirits that be or whatever. So we have to follow the instructions that's in the Word of God, the whole counsel of God. So, along with this death of those, I lost my train of thought there, but in the book of Numbers, the 31st chapter, the 14th through the 18th verse, it says, But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and who served in the war. And Moses said to them, You let all the women live. Look, these are the women who caused the Israelites by the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And so a plague had come among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the children, and kill every woman who is not a virgin. But all the young girls who have not known a man intimate keep alive for yourselves to marry. So when God's wreaking his judgment up on people, let's get rid of the cause of the problem. See, we can't just get rid of the problem. We have to get rid of the underlying cause. We have to hew the tree down at the root of the tree. It says the axe is laying at the root of the tree. What about those 
whorish women that are running around seducing God's people in this day. Tell them to commit fornication and adultery. Who's dressing in such a way that is provocative and have lured away uh, many of God's preachers, teachers, children, and the people of God by their dress, by their conversation. The seductress, the temptress. See, it has to be a punishment of that. Or what about... What happens when the godly women who adorn themselves as Sarah, who dress modestly and who are teaching the other young women to follow the correct ways of God? There has to be some reward and a day of reckoning for all that you've done. They're not innocent. You know, a lot of times we pull, and that's how the churches grow. But when you're preaching, you need to preach toward all those women in the congregation also who's sitting there robbing men of their virtue. Who's sitting there breaking up families also. It was those good looking Moabites. It was those women who seduced them away. Through television and those things that look good. A lot of men have been thrown up. So he said he had committed adultery who had lust after a woman. But you see the punishment we know in, in the New Testament. Is that God forbid lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? That's to dress in a lewd manner, in a manner that causes lewdness or to draw something away. That's why the old women, the women that's in the church that are teaching the young woman, say, look, you can't come in the church with that on. You can't walk around with that on. They don't buy their children those type of clothes. It's a lot of women now letting their children, those young girls, dress like grown women. So what about the punishment that comes after them? They're supposed to be instructing the young women to be keepers at home, to cook and to love their husbands and everything, and not dressing and running around here committing fornication and out on the street or whatever, and a, a, a prone or locked into entitlements, into welfare from generation to generation. You don't try to break out of the project. You don't try to break away from something. It's too many young women in their teens and 20s and things on these programs and things, they could get a husband. They could work at a place. They can be a roof. They can work hard. They don't have to depend on some government to take care of them. They can trust in God and follow the counsels of God. I tell you that same spirit is in the church at Pergam. Revelations 2.19 says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there some among you who are holding to the corrupt teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, enticing them to eat things that have been sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of sexual immorality. We have to watch those teachers, watch those people that are being in, uh, instructed in the churches and everything. Largely, some of these churches are the wolves are making the building payment. So there's a many a pastor say they don't preach on sin. They don't preach on fornication of adultery. They don't say on Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings or whenever they have their church services that if you living with a man or you living with a woman that, that's not allowed. That's fornication. That, that's going into the church. We don't want to preach on homosexuality. We don't want to preach on lesbianism. 
See, that rattled too many cages. We're normalizing that. And it's too many good stories I'm looking at on television where some man kisses another man. I say, look, let's change the channel. And I can't no longer, because we're tolerating or we're compromising. Because that's an abomination. You can't say God love all of his children. Yes, you are a soul of God, but you've been born under condemnation. You still belong to the devil. You're not one of the redeemed. The redemption, the good news comes that God can free you from any bondage that you're in. That God's not going to compromise His Word and that what's abomination now, God say He changes not. Now sometimes we are afraid to preach that gospel. We are afraid to even speak those things and we're tolerating and compromising that because it's coming close to home now. Those chickens come in the roost. We're compromising and tolerating, and that's what Balaam taught. That's the doctrine of Balaam. Worldly compromise. Well, I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, if it, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city that rejected God's message. Those of us that's rejecting His word, it's going to be more tolerable. Because when Jonah preached at Nineveh, the whole city repented. The reason why we look at that and say the whole city repented because what a nation does is punishable, even just part of the nation. That's why I say as part of the nation, partially with the last election and the evangelicals went the way they did, when a partial part of the nation is wicked if he judges the whole nation. That's why when he judged Israel and he judged Judah, he judged the whole nation. And he scatters his people. Now he know how to regather his people and bring them back. But the nations are judged at this life and at this time. That's why nations come and go. Because nations are judged corporately. Whereas individuals are judged individually, and that's why each man has to give account for the deeds done in his body. Uh, Ezekiel was a preacher during the time of the captivity in Babylon. We all like to hear the sermon of the dry bones, this bone connected to that, but there's a deeper meaning in that than that's something that just feels good. He was a important expression. He was a Baptist preacher. A lot of us belong to Baptist churches or whatever, and I used to belong to a Baptist church, and it was just like the music today. It was entertaining. Reverend Alexander had one arm, and that sling, that arm that was in that, without that sleeve, would go there, and he'd be singing, and he'd be preaching, and that thing waving, and the whole church be up on their thing. So it wasn't a stumbling block. It's just that he was a preacher. Now that it convicted a lot of them. But after the sermon was over, I bet you a lot of them didn't know what it was about. You know, a lot of times you go to these concerts and everything, everybody's standing up like at the football game, the wave going. You feel good and everything, but it's like Chinese food. You're hungry an hour later. That meat of the word is not getting there. It made you feel good. And that's what David did. He made Saul feel good. It soothed the evil within Saul, but it didn't have that cleansing effect that the Word does. That Word, it writes it up on your heart and it stays there. Listen at what he's happened with Ezekiel. I'll read that whole 
chapter, the first through the 11th verse, excuse me for so much reading this morning, it says, He said to me, Son of man, eat what you find in this book. Eat the scroll, then go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. He said to me, Son of man, eat the scroll that I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, Go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them, for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech, a difficult language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unintelligible speech, a difficult language, words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. They should listen. A lot of us are sent to our relatives, people we know who should know what we're talking about because we come from the same places. I sing it to your nieces, your nephews, your uncles, your aunts, your mamas, sisters and brothers, people you grew up in the community. People should know and listen at what you say. If you broke away, they can break away. Yes. God's word is something that will break you away. It will loosen the cords of bondage that holds you. He says, but I have sent you to them who should pay attention and listen to you, my message, and yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you and obey you, since they are not willing to listen to me and obey me. For the entire house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. He says, but listen now, this is for all of us that go around teaching and telling people God's word. He says, Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their forehead. I have made your forehead like emery board or a diamond, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all of my words which I speak to you and hear with your ears. Listen closely. Go to the Jewish exiles in Babylon to the children of your people and speak to them, whether they listen or not, and tell them, thus says the Lord. Can I tell you to preach the word in season and out of season? They're not going to want to hear it. They're not going to endure sound doctrine because they're fleshly, they're calm. But he's charging you, you preach the word. But before you go out there preaching the word, Remember he told them to go back and tarry at Galilee till you do be endued with power from on high? Yes. You need the Holy Spirit. You need that power to help you. That's what made Peter bold as a lion. You must first eat the roll. It's like picking that moat out of somebody else's eye when it's a beam in you. You must eat the words yourself. You must consume God's word. You must know the word. It has to be a part of you so you can be just as hard as they are. And if they reject it, they reject it. You're not going to cave in and tolerate and say, okay, well, you know, I know God made you that way. No, no, no. We're not backing up off that. I said what I said. God didn't come back and repeat itself to Adam. He says, oh, Adam, you remember I told you about the word and I asked you not to eat it. No, he came in and he pronounced the sentence. He didn't have to say it again. Show me where he said it again. He told him, thou shalt surely die. You follow the wrong counsel. So he had rose up his preachers early, sending his word to the people. You consistently preach God's word when they want to hear it or not. A lot of them will get so upset at you or be so 
radical about it, they're going to try to scare you off that. Don't. Do like my brother told me. Hold that lane. Hold steadfast. Now, you remember I said you can learn from him? That's a counsel that I've always thought about. Biggie. He says, hold that lane. When you get out there, you hold that lane. Sometimes my brother sitting right over there used to tell me about being patient and waiting. And I used to be playing dominoes and racking up and counting or whatever. But he would patiently wait toward the end of the game. He would have everything on the board and in my hands and everywhere else and knew what I had. We must patiently wait. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles. It says, Ezekiel 33 and 31, he says, So they come as though they are sincere and sit before you and listen. But they have no intention of doing what I tell them to do. They talk very sweetly about loving the Lord, but with their hearts they are loving money more than me. They're rejecting God. Their hearts are far from me. With their mouths they honor Him. It sounds like the churches nowadays. It sounds like a lot of the singers and people that saying Jesus and talking about Jesus. They'll come to church. We we one of the largest nations in the world that has churches that we have mega churches where countless thousands going. But why is the nation in such a hell of a fix? Why do we have so much killing here in Baton Rouge and there's almost a church on every corner? But Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Somebody ain't standing. Somebody ain't holding fast. Rejecting and not listen to the counsels of God. His instructions, his word. Eat the word and continue in the word and you go give that word out. God's going to strengthen you. He's going to be with you. Zechariah 15, 7, chapter 8 through 15, verse says, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion to each other. Do not oppress or exploit the widow of the fatherless, the stranger of the poor. We keep hemming in on that poor because it shouldn't be that some churches tell you, that you sit over here, you have respect of person, as James says, and you don't, they always passing around the hat to make you feel bad that you're not welcome at that church because you're not a big giver or whatever. It says the poor has the gospel preached to them because the gospel shouldn't be any charge. I give freely. Freely he gives. He says, and do not devise or even imagine evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to listen and pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder, stiffening themselves in resistance and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts hard like flint, so they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the prophets. Therefore great wrath came from the Lord of, of, of hosts, and just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, he says. Says, he says, I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts, but I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. Thus the land was desolate, 
after they had gone so they had no one passed through. God's not going to listen at us at one time. You're going to be beating on the door just as the time of Noah, but Noah couldn't open the door if he wanted to. God had shut the door. He tells us that in Revelations, I open a door no man can close and close doors no man can open. We're looking at God and it's all through His Word, the power of His Word, the power of creation is my last point. The power of creation. God who created all things, I told you in the book of Genesis, who spoke the world into existence. But Job says, but by His Spirit He garnishes the heaven. His hand had formed the crooked servant. The, he had formed the crooked serpent. Satan forgot he was a created being. He forgot that. Sometimes our children forget who brought them into this world. They forget those parents that God says, honor your parents. They forget the instructions, and that's what David gave Solomon. And that's what the book of Solomon's the Proverbs is about the instructions and the wisdom that come from your mother and father. That's what they're given to you, Father. And that's what this generation, that's why it says cursed children. We're no longer listening in our parents. They're old fogey. They're old-fashioned. We can't learn anything from them. And we're smarter than them. And they are stupid or whatever you want to think. That's being, we're treating them with contempt. That's why I told you about Social Security when I opened this up because now the children have more than ever be minimum wages at $12 or $10 an hour in most places. They're making more money than ever made. They're working two jobs, a lot of them, and both parents are working or whatever. Driving more fancier cars, living in better homes, and have closets of clothes, just tons of clothes. They have to buy storage sheds and everything. My mother coming up, she had what you call a chiffre or a cedar chest or whatever. She had two or three dresses, which would be her church dresses. They called them Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. Yeah. But it was a better generation than I see here now. There's a generation that despised their parents, that turned their heads. And Jesus says, through Corban. In other words, they belong to all these fancy God-given situations or churches or whatever, and they have to give to this program and that program, so their money is dedicated to Corban. That's what Jesus says. That you, by your tradition, you have made void the commandments of God, because God says, honor your parents. Those that have gotten old, are you taking care of them? Are you coming back helping them along? You don't have to just shove them into a nursing home, even though sometimes that may be the thing to do. But can't they live with you? Well, surely Caesar was talking about the man that had said, don't drive your mother away. And he went and got the mother at the nursing home where one of the children had put the, the mother in the nursing home. And he said, no, mother, long as i got a house, you can live with me. We're able to do for our parents. And that's why I say Social Security should be in the shape it is today. They're, they're wealthier and they're no longer called millionaires. Now you have billionaires. They're countless millionaires. But those generations, if they would give, the tax that they're talking about is on the wealthy. Now if you want to get into God's word, you know, God had three different tithes. It, it was 33 and a third. 
If you want to see, but when you go beyond the tithe, when you go beyond pinching off to God, says this is God, you give generously. God loves a cheerful giver. So if you wealthy, you give more. Give according to how the Lord had blessed you, because all of that money that some of them have, they'll never spend, is just for the popularity of it, of just for having. It's called covetousness. Covetousness. But social security ought to be so no old person should ever be able to worry and to spit their medications or whatever. It has this durable goods on Social Security where if something happens to your wheelchair, to your CPAP machine, or to some other devices, you can't get another. You have to hold that one for five years. But we have the crooked people that's selling defective merchandise that they won't even work on. Are we going back and looking at these things, or are we dedicated to taking care of our own? when he told Jeremiah to build up and tear down, it was restoration of God's coming kingdom. And that's what the children of the sons of God are doing. They're bringing the kingdom here. That's what the, the spirit that was up on Jesus, it brought the kingdom of God right down here among us. It's going to be a time they beat their weapons in the plowshares. It's going to be a time because creation is looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. That Spirit of the Lord was up on him, and it was to throw down and to pull up. We have to tear up the Pharisees' house. We have to pull those things of this world that are down by preaching the Word of God. That's how you do it. That's the rod. That's the sword of the Spirit. This is a carnal battle. We do it by the Word of God. By preaching and walking in the Word of God. Behold, Jeremiah 27, chapter 28. 27th chapter, 27 to the 28th verse. This is end times. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it should come to pass that like as watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. By preaching the word. He's going to build the kingdom of God right here upon this earth. You're going to see a new heaven and a new earth, a new world order. This is Jesus Christ's words. And what we're depending upon, His promises in His word. We're to work that about. That's why the Spirit of the Lord that was anointing Him was to establish the kingdom. If you notice that He stayed midway in that verse, read it in the book of Isaiah. He didn't read the whole verse. He read half of that verse because we were to do the rest of that verse. He says, greater things that you shall do. We shall do those greater things. And he shall reveal them unto us by the mystery of godliness. He shall reveal these things. The revelation of Jesus Christ will bring this about. He's going to place it in our hearts, in our minds. What is it to make known the children of men concerning God and His mind and His will and His acquaintance? He gives that to you by special revelation of Jesus Christ. But you have to pray to God. He says, if you pray to to the Father in my name, anything that you ask, I'll do it. But He says also, study to show thyself approved. Study the Word. Eat the whole robe. Meditate on it day and night. 
hide the word in your heart. The power of life and death lies in words. You have to give account for every idle word. So those that are out there that are naming the name of Christ who hadn't departed from iniquity will be just like us today. As we come to the table, as we close and come to the table, we need to examine ourselves. How do you examine yourself? By the word of God. 1 Corinthians 11 chapter. But if we evaluate and judge ourselves honestly, recognizing our shortcomings and correcting our behavior, we would not be judged. So if we would look into the mirror of God's word and not just be a hearer, but do a, a, a doer of God's word, we'll pull off the old man and put on the new man, which is created in righteousness after Christ Jesus. That we'll start looking at him, looking as he looked in his image and his likeness. We put to death the old man, so we are judging ourselves now, so we won't be judged later on. But when we fall short and are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined by undergoing his correction. I tell you, he don't punish his children. See, a criminal receives judgment and punishes for his punishment for his crime. But we are corrected by God. He scorns every son that he brings. He mars that child. In other words, train up a child in the way he should go. So we are in the training of God. He's directing us how we should enter into the kingdom of God because thy will is being done and thy kingdom is coming. We either get in line. There's a plumb line, as I told you in Ezekiel. I mean in Amos, there's a plumb line and we have to line up with that plumb line. We have to line up with the Word. The Word doesn't get out of line. We have to line up with His Word. So that we are not condemned to eternal punishment along with the world. We are saved. But sometimes He has to take disobedient children out of this life. Out of this life. I'm sure Adam will be in the next life. But God honored His Word. He had to die. God's going to honor His Word. If He has to move heaven and earth, He's going to honor His Word. His Word doesn't change. Council of Balaam, I tell you, was the compromise and the tolerance of this Word. We have to learn to listen at God and who not to listen to. That's the training. The children of Israel, since they didn't experience war, they forgot how to fight. A lot of our children hadn't experienced war racial injustice. They hadn't experienced racism. They hadn't experienced oppression. They hadn't experienced social evils. They hadn't experienced class fighting. But what happens is Joshua had, that generation that had passed away it says the Lord had to teach them to battle. And that's what the church is here for. He placed pastors and teachers in the church to teach us to war. It's not a carnal war. So don't let people come into the church and say, yeah, but you got to think about yourself. No, it's self-sacrifice. You have to learn to present your body as a living sacrifice. And you have to be taught to fight. And whose counsel to receive? It's going to come a time, like I said, people not going to endure sound doctrine. 
doctrine is instructions, and man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of, of God. That's his counsel. And if I sway away from this book, I have a problem. And if I sway away from teaching y'all the word of God, I have an even a larger problem. So follow and keep God's word. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day,